Well, let's take our Bibles now and get to our Bible message from the book of Matthew, chapter number 11. So Matthew and chapter number 11 will continue our study here, seeing that Jesus is king and how that we're to be submitted to him. And so we're going to get to some of the results even of that. I think a familiar passage, <clears throat> pardon me, we're coming to, <clears throat> pardon me, the very last three verses or so are going to be really familiar um, but it's one of those situations where when you hear those verses in their context, um, it, it's going to really make even more, I believe, of an impact uh, when you see it in its context. At least that's the impact it's had on, on me. In fact, um, there's three of the verses. I'll just be honest with you. Verse 25 through 27 that I, I hadn't really taken into account or or given serious consideration to that now that it's at least a little bit more clear, it, it really makes verses 28, 29, and 30 um, stand out even more so. So that may not make a lot of sense to you right now. Hopefully by the end of the message it will. So let's, let's see how that goes. Verse number 16, though, is where we're going to start in our reading. Jesus says... Um, Whereunto shall I liken this generation? And he gives this analogy, this parallel, this illustration. He says, it is likened to children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows or unto their friends and saying, we have piped unto you and you have not danced. We have mourned unto you and you have not lamented. The idea there is, Nothing will please you. They're childish. All right, let's keep reading. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he hath the devil. The son of man, that's in reference to himself, by the way. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. Like that was a bad thing. A friend of publicans and sinners. Notice what Jesus says, though. But wisdom is justified of her children. But wisdom is justified of her children. All right now, pay attention. Verse 20. Then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done. Because they repented not. And he upbraided them, saying, verse 21, Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had, be done, had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would, have, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shalt be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which, were, which have been done in thee had been done, notice this, in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable 
for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment. By the way, there is a day of judgment coming. That's what this is indicating. And he says it'd be more tolerable even for Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. Now, verse 25, at that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and has, what's the next word? Revealed them unto babes. It says, um, kind of lost my place right there. Is that right? Revealed them unto babes, unto little children. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. Then verse 27, all things, you still following along, everybody? All things are delivered unto me of my Father. And no man knoweth the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son. And he to whomsoever the Son will, what's the next word again? Reveal him. Come unto me. All ye that, well, I'm glad he said all ye, aren't you? All ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find, he says it again, rest unto your souls. Here's why, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, I believe we're most familiar with those verses and most often they're probably just preached alone and they certainly merit preaching alone. Those three would be enough. But how about this morning, we ask God to help us to put them in their context and just flow right into it to see what Jesus is, is saying here. And I believe it'll be a great help to every one of us. The title of the message here this morning is this, the only place, the only place to find rest. The only place to find rest. May God bless the reading, the preaching of his word. You may be seated. As we, as we consider and continue our series here in Matthew. <clears throat> Whether they would articulate it this way or not, every person inhabiting planet Earth today is looking for rest. They're looking for a place of rest. Um, and there's only one place to find it. Maybe find, people find rest in a Baptist church on Sunday morning, but I'm not talking about a Baptist nap. <laughs> We're talking about um, rest, peace, solace, comfort. The opposite of that, of course, would be restless restlessness. Would you agree today that there is a overall uh, sense of just restlessness in our world and restlessness in our soul? By the way, this is not just uh, to be made by way of application to salvation. That's where it's going to begin, but it, it doesn't end there because you can be saved and still be restless. 
right? So I, I want to be clear about that. Anxious, uneasy, uh, unquietness, you know, of the soul, um, agitated. You can be agitated. And so there's this uh, restlessness that is in our world. And, and I think we all have experienced it. But Jesus truly and clearly is extending the invitation. He says, come unto me and I'll give you rest. So we need to understand that. Why did he say, come unto me? And where is the only place of rest? So there's attention that's been given in the text. And I'd like to uh, draw your attention back to it. To the matter uh, that we saw a couple different times, a couple of times uh, Jesus uses the word reveal. Did you catch it? I tried to highlight it, let you say it. Reveal, uh, who the Son reveals unto him. And, and um, I would submit to you that even the whole chapter is about God's revelation. Okay, revelation is just, of course, a word meaning to make known. All right? Uh, so we, we know that the Bible is God's revelation to us. It is what God has revealed, is what God has made known. Now, I, I, I'm a firm believer, and I think that you would be as well, of course, that God created the heavens and the earth, and that there's a lot that we can learn from God's creation. You, there's a lot you can learn just from the intricacies of creation. I mean, you look at just the human eye. I, I went for an eye exam, you know, just an annual checkup kind of thing, or actually about a two or three year checkup is <laughs> it's supposed to be an annual. But anyways, uh, you know, but I was looking at the chart of the human eye. I mean, your eye is complex. I'm telling you, your eye didn't just happen. To say that all this happened is kind of like saying that there was an explosion in a word a print shop and a dictionary was a result of the explosion that happened there. Like all these letters fell into place. I'm telling you, friend, listen, there is a designer because God created the heavens and the earth. And so there's a lot you can learn about, uh, about God's handiwork from creation, but, but it is, it is uh, limited. You're, you're not going to understand the cross. You're not going to understand uh, sin. You're not going to understand the Savior. There's just so much you can get from what we'd call natural revelation. You need special revelation, God's word. Okay. And so it is about God's revelation. The last time we were together, we were considering and considering this passage. We considered John the Baptist who came to a time of doubting in his life. There was unrest in his life. Is it safe to say that? That there was a disquietness in his soul. There was an anxiousness where there had been a settledness. We spent quite a bit of time last week demonstrating that John was very clear that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was great. In fact, John said, I'm not even worthy to, uh, to loose his or carry his shoes or in another place, he said, to latch his shoes. He says, I'm not even worthy. He believed in Jesus' greatness. And yet under the pressure and looking around and things just not going exactly like John thought that they would, he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, art thou he that should come or should we look for another? And, and, John, and Jesus told John through his disciples, go tell John the blind receive their sight. The lame walk, the deaf hear, the dead are raised again. And he said, go tell him that. And what he was doing right there is he's saying, go tell John that the book of Isaiah 11 Isaiah 28, Isaiah 35, and other passages like that, listen, are being fulfilled. 
So when there was an unsettledness in even John the Baptist's soul, here's what Jesus did. He pointed John back to the revelation of God. Because man's word will fail you, but God's word never will. And so when you're unsettled in your soul, go back to the revelation. Go back to the word of God. You may be shaken, but the word of God is not shaken. Forever his word is settled in heaven. All right, so I'm just reiterating that because the chapter begins with an emphasis on God's revelation. And then it proceeds on that. John, I'm sorry, Jesus said about John, what did you go out to see? A reed shaken with the wind? What did you go out to see? Somebody wearing soft clothing? No, I, I tell you, those that are wearing soft clothing, they're found in king's palaces. But John wore camel hair and he was a manly man for sure. Uh, and, and so he was, a, he was a bold preacher of the word of God. And, and so there's the revelation of John who preached in the wilderness. And here was his message. You ready? Repent. You're not right with God. You need to be saved. You're in unbelief. They were very religious, but being very religious and being born again, being saved is not the same thing. He said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He preached a message of repentance. He was not known for his social skills. John the Baptist. He ate locusts and honey. And you wouldn't find him at a social gathering among the elites of the land. That was John. He came emphasizing fasting. In fact, there even arose a question about why his disciples fasted and Jesus' disciples did not fast. So he came emphasizing repentance and, and, and fasting and getting right with God and asking for God's forgiveness. Jesus came, in fact, uh, we heard this morning in Sunday school even that John the Baptist pointed to Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And Jesus came and listen to this. He was a friend of sinners. He was a friend to a man named Matthew who was a publican, who was despised by his own people. He was a friend to, to uh, sinners that were getting things right with God. And, and so he drew criticism. All right, here it is. John drew criticism because he fasted and because he was very aesthetic in many ways and off living by himself in the wilderness. But Jesus drew criticism because he was living and interacting with people who were sinners and trying to help them. And the Pharisees said, if he was really, really a man sent from God, surely he wouldn't associate with these people. I want to thank God this morning that our Savior is willing to associate with these people. But Jesus came and Jesus preached the same message. He preached, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, he's saying, you're not right with God. You need to be right with God. And he came and the emphasis again was on the matter of revelation. Here's what God is saying to you. Hang on, friend. Listen, this, this would mean a lot to them if you stop and think about it. Because for 400 years, they hadn't heard from God in the sense of hearing from a prophet. But here is John the Baptist that shows up on the scene and the silence is broken. In other words, revelation is coming and my soul did it come again. We've got the New Testament because of it. Revelation. And Jesus said, to what shall I liken this generation, this group of people? I'll tell you what they're like. They're like kids playing in the marketplace. He says, uh, we've piped to you and you haven't danced. We've mourned to you and you haven't lamented. Come on, why don't you play? You ever see that? Kids only play if you play their way. It's kind of how it is, isn't it? Hey, you're not playing by my rules. 
I'm not playing. <laughs> that it? Childishness. Now, I don't know. Somebody said that uh, maybe even this was Jesus' observation of, of children that were at a wedding and thus they were acting or playing like it was a wedding and they had somebody playing the flute and everybody was supposed to dance and be festive. I'm not going to demonstrate that in case you were wondering. <laughs> Where's this going? I'm not going to demonstrate that. Or maybe he, they were at a funeral and, and the kids were out there playing like adults. You know what I'm talking about. And maybe there was, they were acting like this is their funeral uh, dirge and they were supposed to be lamenting, but nobody would play along. I've been in my fair share of weddings and funerals as a kid, not by my own choosing. Mind you, you know what I'm talking about. Kids uh, taking, I, I spent in Kentucky, and we used to do things a lot different in Kentucky. I don't know if they still do. I think they do. But when somebody passed away, I mean, you'd have a whole day of, 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 of visitation. And, and you, if you were a member of that family or whoever passed away, then you were there all day long as a kid. I've got in a lot of trouble at funeral homes. For sure. You know what I'm talking about? Kids playing. All right, I, I've got to move on here. But, but I think you get the idea. Jesus is saying this. Okay, look. On one hand, you say, we ought to be fasting and mourning. John came and emphasized that, and you wouldn't go along with John. I've come as a son of man, and I'm eating and drinking. By the way, he's not drinking, al drinking alcohol because God condemns alcoholic beverages. Jesus never condoned alcohol and drinking in that way. No, no, not in any way. But they came and saw him among those. And by his association, they figured he was condoning all that. Not in any wise was Jesus condoning alcoholic beverages. But what he's doing is he came to seek and save that which was lost. And here he is in a festive way. And now they're rejecting him. In other words, Jesus is saying, you're being so childish because here's the revelation of God. And here's the revelation of God. But nothing will suit you. You know why nothing suits man? Because he wants things his own way. Just like a child. Instead of being childlike and receiving the revelation of God, we oftentimes are childish in saying, I don't like what he's preaching. I don't like the way he's preaching. He ought to have said this. He shouldn't have said that. He should have said this. <laughs> now, I don't see anybody physically, visibly doing that, but I wonder every now and then when anybody's preaching, if there's somebody out there thinking... <laughs> There's a childishness in all of us. And Jesus said, that's what you're like. And then he said this. And again, I, I'm just, I'm going to keep moving here because there's a context to all this. And he says, woe unto thee, Chorazin and Bethsaida. Because if the mighty works that had been done in thee had been done in Tyre and Sidon, cities to the north, pagan cities, Gentile cities, and wicked cities, by the way. I mean, you read Amos and Isaiah and, and some other prophets. They preached to Tyre and Sidon, and they didn't repent and get things right with God. But Jesus says, listen, if the mighty works that had been done in, in thee, Chorazin and Bethsaida, if they had been done there, they would have repented. I've spent a lot of time with you. I have... Um, done many miracles in your midst, indicating this. God is a work among you. Now, now, wait a minute. Jesus didn't perform miracles just to get everybody to say, wow, that's awesome. 
That's amazing. Now, if I were there, if you were there, probably that would have been our response. Did you see that? I know that guy. He couldn't walk. He was legitimately lame and, and he couldn't walk. But now look at him. He's running everywhere. We would be amazed. But Jesus didn't do that to entertain them. Jesus didn't do that just to amaze them. Jesus did those mighty works. Hang on. I'm going to use this word. You ready? To reveal to them that God was in their midst. And listen, if God is revealing himself to you, then you ought to think about where you are with God. I said, if God is revealing himself to you, then you ought to stop and think about where am I with God? And so that's why Jesus says to them, woe, woe unto you. It's not going to end well for you. Whoa. And, and you can hear there the heart of God that he wishes it would go differently for them and, and desire that they would respond rightly. The miracles and all that was taking place was revealing. It was God's revelation that, that they were sinners and they needed a Savior and that the Messiah had come to save them. And thank God, by the way, hang on, Bethsaida was the home of Andrew and Peter and Philip. So some, some, saw the revelation of God and responded rightly to it and recognized they were sinners and got things right with God. And they were gloriously saved. And watch this. They got rest as a result of it. Is everybody following along with this so far? I believe you're taking it in. He's saying if the works that had been done in thee had been done there, they would have repented. Here's what he's saying. You have been given great opportunity because of God's revelation. Tyre and Sidon had some, but they don't have as much as what you did. And then he says, well, under the Capernaum. Well, Capernaum, if you remember from chapter 8 and chapter 9, five, if I remember this right, it's in my notes, you can check it out later, but five of the 10 miracles that were performed were performed in that city. This was like the headquarters of Galilee for Jesus as he would go in and out. I mean, he was often there. And he says to them, listen, you are lifted up. You're exalted up to heaven, but I'm telling you, you're on your way to hell. What's he saying? He's saying they thought that they were okay with God. I'm telling you, Dave, there's a lot of people that think they're okay with God and they're not. Because of their religious background because of their, their family background, their ancestors. My granddaddy was a Baptist preacher, don't you know? And I got baptized when I was this old or I joined the church when I was this old or I used to be an officer in the church or I even used to preach a little bit or they're looking at all their works. I'm telling you, friend, your salvation is never found in your good works. It's not found in your nationality. It's not found in your heritage. It's not found in baptism. It's not found in rituals. It was not found in any of those things is only found in personal faith in Jesus Christ and him alone. But here they are exalted to heaven. And yet Jesus says, listen, you're on your way to a literal place called hell. And God was right there in their midst, standing before them. And again, I'm going to say it to you, just like Jesus was saying it to them, that when God is working in your midst, you better stop and think about where you are with God. You say, well, 
Jesus is not here doing miracles today. But Jesus is here, friend, because he's present and preaching to you through his word and using other people to get your attention. Don't tell me God's not active here today. God is very active. And you're here not by coincidence, not by accident, but because there's a loving God who cares about you enough to tell you that you're a sinner on your way to hell. And he's in your presence at this very hour, not bodily, not physically, but spiritually. And certainly he's in your presence. And since he's in your presence, you better think about where you stand with God. And it doesn't matter how long you've been around or how long maybe you've been a member of this church. If you've not been born again, you're not ready to die. You may be exalted up to heaven in, the, in your mind. They thought everything was okay in their mind, but listen, it better be all right in reality. In other words, I'm saying to you that you better make sure, make sure this morning based on the revelation of the word of God that you've been born again according to what God said. That you've repented, turning from unbelief to him and, and you've called upon the name of the Lord. And the Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Has there been a time in your life when you understood you were a sinner and that Jesus died on the cross, was buried and rose again? And when you personally, I'm saying personally, repented of your sin of unbelief and turned to him and asked him to save you. Has there been a time like that? If there's never been a time like that, friend, listen, you need to be saved. That's a revelation of God. And I'm saying to you this morning that you will not have rest in your soul if you keep rejecting the revelation of God. Because there's no rest to those that reject his revelation. Are you beginning to see the theme unfold right here? I'm saying to you very clearly now that there's no rest to those who reject the revelation of God. There's no rest to those that reject the revelation of God. You'll find no peace. You'll find no safety. You'll find no solace. It'll trouble you until you come to a place where you say, I've taken God and his word because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You'll never have rest if you reject God's message. How do you reject God's message? You might be indifferent about it thinking, this is no big deal. It is a big deal, friend. Listen, are you listening to me here this morning? Very carefully, it is a big deal because we're talking about your eternity. It is a big deal. It is a big deal and you're rest in this life. And God wants you to know for sure that you're saved. And, and I'm so glad that I get to preach that today that it is a no-so salvation. It's the revelation of God, not the revelation of man. I didn't come up with this and no man came up with this. This is what our Savior said as he went preaching, believe and repentance and, and, and faith in Jesus Christ and him alone. That is the revelation of God. We are on firm biblical ground. In fact, it's firm enough you can rest on it. But that's why he said, woe unto thee, Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum, because you've had great opportunity It'll be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon. In fact, it'll even be more tolerable. Evidently, there's degrees of punishment in hell. Amen. Not based on what sins are worse than others, but even on opportunity. Right. You've had opportunity and you've rejected it. Right. The revelation. The revealing of God. That we're sinners but the revealing of God that he loves us and sent his son. And then he says this. Would you please look at it in verse 25? Jesus prayed and said, I thank thee, O Father, heaven of earth and heaven, 
Because thou hast hid what? These things. What things? Things he's just talked about. He's hid these things. Hey, by the way, that, 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 let me keep reading. Hang on. Wait a minute. Settle down, preacher. You'll be all right. Preachers got to talk to themselves too, don't you know? He says, You've hid, thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you look at some other passages, here's basically what he's saying. There are people who feel like they're superior to others because of their education, because of their privilege, because they're very successful in this life, they're very rich, they're very well-known, they're very powerful. And yet for all the education they have, they totally miss the most important knowledge that a man can have. And, and by the way, what I was going to say a moment ago before I stopped myself was this. God's not playing games with them. He, he'll, Paul, when he said not, not, he didn't say not any wise, he said not many wise, not many rich. In other words, he's, there's, there's people that, that stumble over the simplicity of the gospel that stumble over the existence of God, that are agnostic, or maybe not even that extreme, would they say and think things like this, that what you and I are giving our attention to is childish and fables and myths and not real. And they're teaching in public universities and colleges and they're CEOs and COOs and, and engineers and and scientists and physicists and pharmacists and, and on and on through um, psychologists and, and something with degrees to it. And professing themselves to be wise, they become fools. And here's why they've become fools. It's not because God doesn't want them to be saved because the Bible is very clear in this matter. He would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. But they're so proud and arrogant in their minds that they can't be saved until they humble themselves. And that's why Jesus says, I thank you, Father, that you've hid these things from the wise and the prudent. Because otherwise, if they thought they'd figure this out on their own, then they'd get the glory for it. But a child who says, I can't do anything to save myself, but I know Jesus died to save me. Hey, Jesus said that even a little child, just a child can be born again. Just a child can be saved. I'm so glad that God made it that simple. Man makes complicated what God has made rather simple. I was saved at the age of eight years old and I couldn't anywise pronounce propitiation. Had no idea how to spell atonement or even what it was. And I'd heard the word redeemed just because it was in a songbook. I didn't understand all that, but here's what I did understand. I understood I was a sinner that Jesus died for me and that he was buried and he rose again. He said he'd save anybody that would call upon him for salvation. And I knew I was on the wrong road and I asked Jesus to save me. April the 1st, 1984 and I was born into God's family on April Fool's Day but that is the wisest thing I've ever done because I trusted him rather than me to get me to heaven even unto babes 
And he says, Father, I thank you that that's how it is. Even so, Father, so it seemed good in thy sight. And then he says this, verse 27, please bear with me here just a little bit. I, I realize, I mean, this is quite a development of thought. I trust that you're following along. If you didn't, then go back and watch it on live stream or something, but we're gonna have to keep moving here. But I want you to see this, verse 27, he says, all things are delivered unto me and my father. All things, what does that mean? Well, in the context of this, he's talking about knowledge and revelation. And he's saying this, all things are delivered unto me of my father. In other words, there's not truth outside of God's truth. All things are delivered unto me of my father. Now look at this, no man knoweth the son but Muhammad. No man knoweth the father but Buddha. No man knoweth, let me go back and try to read that again. No man knoweth the son but Confucius. Nope. No man knoweth the father but the Pope. Nope. No man knoweth the father but Mary. Nope. No. Do I have to keep going? Are you getting the idea? This is rather exclusive right here. In fact, it's emphatically exclusive. In other words, he's saying this, listen, nobody understands the son, even though man might think he does. No man understands the son like the father does. And no man understands the father like the son does. A man in his pride and arrogance, he may say, I know some things about God. You don't know a thing about God that he didn't help you understand because we would know nothing of God. I tell you, we would know nothing of God had he not made it known unto us. He didn't have to make it known to us. He could have left us in the dark. He could have left you in the dark, but he didn't leave you in the dark. In fact, he sent the best light that he had. He sent his son to be the light of the world that lighteneth every man. What he's saying right here is very simple. It's this, there's no other way under heaven on earth to be saved except through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. There's no other way. You're not going to figure this out on your own without the Son of God showing you. You're not going to figure out how to earn God's favor without the shed blood of the Son of God. In other words, basically what these verses are saying, I just kind of read over and missed it, T, totally. Because, and it sounded a lot like the book of John, which I miss a lot of that. How about you? But really, it's quite simply saying this. Man has got to have God to reveal things unto him. And you're not going to know anything about the Father unless the Son shows you. But didn't Jesus say this, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh to the Father but by me. And, and, and Philip and Thomas and those that were there, they said, show us the Father and it suffices us. And here's what Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's the revelation. The only way you can get to God the Father is through God the Son. Not an earthly priest. Not through your good works, not through Mary, not through some other religion. No, it's only, only through Him. And then he says this. That being the case, come. I'm the only access you have to the Father. And he... Man, this was a blessing. He's the only access that we have to the Father. No man coming to the Father but by me. He's the only access we have to knowing the Father. And he didn't have to say it, but he did. And he doesn't have to say it, but he does. And he says this, since I'm the only access you have to the Father, I want to invite you. The great revelation became the great invitation to rest because you will find no rest 
apart from being his disciple. There's no rest. No rest apart from being his disciple. That begins at salvation. You've got to come to him for salvation. Don't go anywhere else. You'll find something, but here's what you won't find. Rest. Come unto me, he says, all you that labor and are heavy laden, you're weighed down, you're burdened. Burdened with what? Really, he just kind of left that wide open. Now, I think he had in his mind, you're burdened with sin. You're burdened with guilt. You're burdened with shame. But, but even beyond that, I believe, it, I believe it's broad enough in application that it can apply to everybody here today. You're burdened with life. And if you're burdened with life, here's whose disciple you are not. His. By the way, he did not mean come to inactivity because he said, come under the yoke. That means you're going to do work. He did not say, let me make this a little bit easier for you and let's lower the bar. Actually, when you read what we read in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you know, I know the scribes and Pharisees have said this, but I'm actually taking it higher. He said, well, how are we supposed to find rest in that? Because the scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees say, if you're going to be right with God, you got to keep all 613 laws. Every day, all the time. Let me say, mm, I'm out. You got to keep all the dietary law. You got you to uh, keep all the festivals, holy days. Peter and Paul and others and Jesus himself said, the Pharisees put a yoke on you. By the way, he was a carpenter. I imagine he made a lot of yokes. A yoke, just for clarity, is the wooden bar that you put over two oxen and they pull together. And Jesus says, you're burdened down because the Pharisees have told you that you've got to be all these things. And you could never do that. And I never intended that be the way that you'd find rest. But if you'll come unto me, I will give you rest. I love it. I love what Warren Wiersbe said. He said, Jesus said, come. The Pharisees said, do. <laughs> he just said, come. Unto me, all ye, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm, I'm lowly, he says, of heart. Look at it, if you would, please. We're just about there. I realize I could probably go about another three hours on these three verses. I'm meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy. His yoke is the yoke that lifts you up. His burden is the burden that unburdens you. I probably just invented a verb right there. Unburdened you? I don't know. But he, his burden is the burden that makes your life whew, a relief. How is that? Because when you receive him and you become his disciple, meaning you're going to learn life from him rather than on your own and you're living by His revelation, here's what it'll do. It'll give you rest. Amen. I prayed before I preached this message 
prayed over one page of our directory. And I saw families in there. And I wish I could name their names right now. They're here. I just saw them. And the other um, 11 or so families that I prayed over. Some of those families, there was alcohol. Some of those families, there was a strife. Some of those families, I've, I've got their actual names listed right here, but I could go through and tell you some stories. You know what they are? Sinners. I wasn't in the G section, otherwise I could tell you about the Gaddis family. Right here. Sinners with lots of issues. Sometimes have anxiety. Sometimes get up in the air about stuff. Sometimes get at one another. Pastor, your family? Absolutely. I'm not proud of that. I'm just simply saying. In other words, I'm saying there's times when we are his disciple and other times when we're not. And when we're not, we don't have rest. But when we take the word of God and we apply it to our family, and when all I saw is I prayed for you and I saw this family and that family and this family and that family that heard the revelation of God and they applied it to their life. Here's what happened. They got rest. And you'll never find rest apart from being his disciple. And to be his disciple, you can't have it your own way. We want you to do that. We want you. You're being childish is what you're being. You need to get under his yoke, his authority, get his help, his presence, his direction. Yoke. I mean, if he says yoke with me, who do you think does the pull in there? You've got a part to do in it. But it's his power, his direction, his authority. And I'm not going to be my own authority. I'm going to be under his authority. And when I get under his authority, in the midst of a chaotic world, I and you find rest. Let's stand again. You're not going to find rest apart from him. If you're unsettled about salvation, he wants to give you that assurance. You can find it in his word. You can rest in it. God, who cannot lie, promised eternal life. He cannot lie. He will not deceive you. He will not confuse you. He will help you to understand. If you died today, you need to know for sure that you're on your way to heaven. You don't need to think so. You don't need to, well, I hope so. No, you need to know so. And Jesus preached in such a way that it was clear that you could know. I must tell you, judgment is coming. You will either go to a place, a literal place called heaven, or you will go to a literal place called hell, a literal place of torment. But the way it has been made, the price has been paid for your redemption to be saved. Jesus alone could pay it, and he did. And you could come this morning. He said, come. We're only echoing in this generation what Jesus said then. Come unto him and you'll find rest. Well, I would imagine there are those of you that are saved, but you're not at rest. You don't need to be saved again. You can't be. You're born again. You're born into his family, eternal life. But there are things you're upset about. And anytime we're upset, what I've found is that I've gotten out from under his authority. And I'm not living by his word. 
and I need his help to do so. And you can find rest. How about we pray together? If God has touched your heart, don't reject his revelation to you. Father, I want to thank you that like Jesus prayed that you've not given this knowledge to people that were puffed up in their minds, but you've revealed it, made it so simple that even children can receive it. Thank you for the simplicity of the gospel message. I pray today for those that need Christ, that you'd help them to come. I pray for the saved that need peace, that need rest. Lord, they would come to the Savior who invites them daily. We want to be your disciple. In Jesus' name, amen. Page 256, have you any room for Jesus? That's the song.